Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. We are in, in week three of our summer Sabbath series called Living Room. And I appreciate the phone calls, emails, and just uh, walking by and saying how much you needed this series. I, I think it's speaking to our lives. And today, I don't think it's going to be any exception. I think today is going to be one of those moments that will be extremely life-changing for, for some of you in the room. This is our, our church's living room. I've said this every week. This is the place where we celebrate together. We celebrate new life together. There's, there's births that are celebrated in this room, spiritual births that are celebrated in this room. This is, is, is where we will mourn together. This, this is a place where we, we are able to deal with difficult topics and situations right here as a church family. And this is that place, that the living room, where we get to meet with our Heavenly Father. And He's faithful to meet us here, amen? I said He's faithful to meet us here, amen? You know, the first week of this series was about making room in our occupations for God, and, and God will not share his glory, church. He, he will not share his glory. Um, sustainable success, it, it comes through his hands, not our hands. And, and we think that we've got that figured out, and we have no idea. We have no clue. It comes through his hands. Sustainable success comes from the hands of God. The second week of this series... It was about creating space in our finances, and uh, that, that was a, a, a tough subject, but a, a great subject, and so many of you told me last week how, how that was an area that you needed to learn to create space and trust God, and so we, we talked about that, creating space, living room in our finances for God, and, and today is about creating space in our homes. Um, this is going to be a special one today. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced that, that there's somebody in the room today that you're going to hear this, this testimony, and it, it is absolutely going to be life-changing for you. You know, growing up as a, as a pastor's kid and now being a pastor myself, I've had my fair share of potluck dinners. If you know what a potluck dinner is, raise your hand. Years ago, we used to call it dinner on the ground. Anybody remember dinner on the ground? If you grew up in church, you probably, if you grew up in a Pentecostal or a Baptist church, you went to dinner on the ground. It, 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 they're just experts at it. And uh, I, I've been to my fair share of potluck dinners, dinner on the ground. And if you know me, if you've been around here long enough to know me, um, you'll, you'll know that I'm, I'm pretty particular on, on what I eat. And... Um, a dinner on the ground, a potluck dinner, is a chore for me. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let the cat out of the bag. Here it is. When we've had things like that in the past, you'll notice that I walk around and I talk to people at tables for the majority of the time, just simply because I don't want to go up there and get your food. <laughs> and, and and here's the thought behind it: I don't know who cooked what. There's the few people that put their name on on a bowl or something, but if it's on the bottom of the bowl and the bowl's full of baked beans, I can't see it. And so unless it's on the side, I have no idea who cooked it. And if I've never seen your kitchen, chances are I probably don't want to eat whatever's on the table. And I know, I know, it's, it's, it's just who I am. It's a sickness, but it, it's, it's, it's how I've stayed alive this long. And um, so you can call me picky if you want to, and I am. But um, if I haven't seen the kitchen it was cooked in, I, I'm probably not going to eat it. And, and one of the only positives from COVID-19, one of the only positives 
has been that churches all across America has had to shut down potluck dinners. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I miss the fellowship aspect of that, okay? I do. I miss the fellowship of it. But but not knowing what kitchen it was cooked in, (laughs) I don't miss that at all. And... um, But every once in a while, every once in a while, you'll find somebody in the church that is just a great cook. I mean, you, this person, you'll you'll eat anything that comes out of their kitchen because they are a good cook. And usually, usually, they have the name sister in front of their name. Usually, that's how it is. They have the name sister in front of their name, like, like Sister Farnham. Sister Farnham knew her way around a kitchen. That, that, that was, I mean, when I was growing up, I always enjoyed eating whatever beans Sister Farnham brought to potluck, you know. Sister Watson, Sister Watson knew she could cook some roast beef. Best roast beef you've ever had. Just thinly sliced. The gravy was perfection. And, and you just knew when she made roast beef that, that you had to have some of that. I, I could just make a meal out of roast beef. I didn't need any other sides. Just hand me the, the pan of roast beef and, and I could eat it. And, and as, a, as a PK, anybody know what a PK is? Pastor's kid. Any other pastor's kids in the room? Raise your hand high. Hey, God will bless us. Amen. About five of us. That's more than I expected, so that's good. That's good. As a PK, I did not always look forward to going over to people's houses to eat. It just wasn't on my radar. And, and my mom and dad would tell me, hey, we, we've got to go to somebody's house uh, to eat this evening it was just, ugh, I just, I did not enjoy it very much. And um, unless they knew how to cook, if it was Sister Farnham, you know, I, then I was okay with that. Because if I knew that they knew how to cook and I had seen their kitchen, then I was perfectly good with it. And, and there are a few people in our church now, here today, that, that um, they, they know how to cook. And I'm not going to start naming names, you know, thou shalt not begin naming names because you're going to leave somebody out. Somebody's going to get their feelings hurt or you've made something for me and uh, I don't call your name and then all of a sudden we have a church split over it. And so I'm not going to do that either, right? So um, this morning's text, it takes us to one of those people in the prophet Elisha's life. Um, Elisha, we're going to be in 2 Kings today if you want to go ahead and find that. But Elisha, he wasn't necessarily a pastor's kid but he had been mentored, and, and he, as a young intern, he traveled with Elijah, who was a father figure in his life. And so it was like, like right, right there with pastor's kids. He, he was basically not blood-related, but he was a PK. And, and I can only imagine some of the places that they had to eat and some of the food that they had to partake of. Because when you look through Scripture, I'm telling you, prophets, they had the strangest diet. Some of you are looking at me like you have no clue right now. One time, Elijah was, was holed up in a cave, and God sent ravens with bread and meat to deliver food to him. I'm okay with the bread and meat, but we've got this problem right now since we've opened up the church that we've got these crows. Now the construction workers are not here. We've got these black crows, big, huge black crows that they like seeing their reflection in the glass doors around the building. And uh, they hang out around those glass doors quite a bit. I'm not going to tell you what we're doing to remedy this, but they like seeing their reflection in the glass doors. And um, I'm seeing what they leave behind. 
I can only imagine them flying through the air with meat and bread in their hands and get struck right in midair. I just don't, I mean, that, some of you are like, what does struck mean? No, I'm not going to explain that. But that was Elijah's diet, okay? I, I, I remember reading one time where Ezekiel, Ezekiel, at the beginning of his ministry, he ate a scroll. It was the book of Lamentations. He ate a book. Another time, God had, had Ezekiel bake bread on a bed of human waste. True story. God had him, God directed him to do this. He baked his loaf of bread on human waste. Suddenly the scroll doesn't seem so bad, does it? You get over to the New Testament and it doesn't stop because John the Baptist, a prophet, John the Baptist, he ate locusts, but he dipped it in his favorite condiment of honey. So I'm, I'm sure locusts taste better with honey, right? So, so prophets just had, they had a strange, strange diet anyway. And, and, and we get to, to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17, and, and we meet one of these people that, that were, they blessed Elisha with a good home-cooked meal. And you have, you have to understand how refreshing this must be when you are a prophet and your diet is not like everybody else's. So here we go, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. It says, one day Elisha went on to Shunem where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So that, whatever, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. The Bible says one day he came there and he, he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he called her, he stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I mind my own business. Now, there's a blessing all in that, and I don't have time to get into that today, but somebody received that right there. I tend to my own business. I tend to my own people. So just let God use you right there. Verse 14 says, and he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, O Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring as Elisha had said to her. If you're like me, your home is your refuge. I'm not going to lie to you today, church. At the end of the day, I love knowing that, that I can retreat to my place of residence. I can kick my shoes off and I can relax in the presence of the people and the dog that I love. Because I love my people and I love my dog more than I love your people and your dog. Okay, And it's just something about being in my home 
and being able to relax in, in that place of peace, in that place of refuge. There's something about it, and it's a guarded place, and Mandy and I have always been careful on who we allow to come into our home. And you can imagine someone in, in my position that, that you, just, you have to be careful sometimes because there's just some crazies out there, and none of you in here, you're all perfectly sane, but, um, but there's some out there. And, and, and some of the most uncomfortable moments of ministry can be when God asks you to open your home to someone outside of your family, whether it be just for a meal or a place to stay or just a cup of coffee. Because that's our, that's our place of refuge. That's our haven. And, and we don't like to open our home. This is exactly what God laid on the heart of the Shunammite woman. Her and her husband purposely made a room for the prophet of God, for the man of God to be a part of their lives. And, and you have to understand that there was time invested into this project. It didn't just happen you know, just with, with the snap of fingers. There was time invested. There was, there was talent invested. The Bible tells us that they built this room on, onto their house. And, and then, of course, there was treasure. There was, there was a, a, a monetary number that was fixed to this project. There was a budget that they set aside just for this, not to mention uh, you know, all of the, the building permits and all that stuff that had to be filed, I'm sure. So the, the Shunammite couple, they invested their time, their talent, and their treasure just so that the man of God would have a place to stay whenever he was traveling through. Now, for some of you, you might think, well, that's a great story and everything, but, but this is an inconvenience for their lives. This is not how they, they would probably picture their lives when they first got married. But they, would, they were willing to open their home so that the man of God would have somewhere to stay. Elisha told his servant, he said, go and, and find out if we can do anything for them in return. Just go to that Shunammite woman, ask whatever her heart's desire. You know, maybe I can go and I can speak to, to the king or the commander of the army on her behalf. And, and she declines. She says, no, that's not necessary. And Elisha really wants to bless her. So he looks at his servant and he says, what can I do for her? And, she, and, and he replies, he says, well, she has no son. Her husband's old. Why don't you, why don't you give her a son? Why don't you, you know, no, uh, no, let's be careful there. Not you, Elisha, but you pray to God and give her a son, okay? How many of you know you cannot outbless God? Amen? How many of you know that? You cannot outbless God, right? Some of you need to really let that, as, as, as simplistic as it is, as, as, as elementary as this teaching probably is, you need to understand you will never be able to outbless God. That whenever you put forth an effort and you make room in whatever area of your life, when you create living room for God, whenever God feels that, as I told you last week, God is a, is a filler, not a forcer, and God will always multiply. He doesn't just give you what you've invested into it. He will always, always multiply. And you have to think about this woman, this Shunammite woman. Deep down, her heart's desire is, is to have a, a child. I'm sure the house got quiet sometimes. That's probably why they were so willing to open up a door to, to the man of God. They probably needed some company. I mean, you get, you get tired of talking to the same person all the time, right? Okay, just in our home, we get tired of talking to each other all the time. And, and it's just good sometimes to hear the little, you know, the pitter-patter of the feet running down the hallway. It's good sometimes to walk in and see that your, your living room's a mess because your child didn't put all their toys up. It's a blessing. We don't always see it that way, but it's a blessing 
Sometimes the mess of a home can be one of the greatest blessings of your life when somebody else is holding out hope and, 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 and they don't have anybody there to make that mess. They opened up their home and God blessed them in, the ter- in return because you cannot outbless God. And I'm excited about this, this interview today because today you get to meet a couple that they created room in their lives for God to bless. They created room in their home for God to bless. I want you to welcome this morning the May family as they join me up on stage. Hello. One more time, make them feel welcome. So if you will, um, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Okay, I'm Cody May. This is my wife, Lindsay May. Hey, it's... Uh, Hi. Hey. <laughs> it's, uh, I want you to relax, okay? This, okay. Is, this is just our church family with us today, and um, they, um, they're all staring you down right now because they want to hear what you have to say. Don't let them make you nervous, though. This, do what I do. You know, just picture all of them in their underwear, and it'll be fun. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Because some of them's not wearing any underwear, so just be careful. Um, so, Lindsay, tell us, how did you guys meet? Uh, that is a story within itself, but we met... Wait, for the record, it took an entire dinner at their house, I don't know, four or it's five true. years ago, for us to hear this entire story. So I hope you've got some time today. Yes, this, this it's is true. Long, way too long. <laughs> There's the Cody version and the Lindsay version, and the Lindsay version is the five-hour dinner. But um, we met at a ministry. So we, after we graduated high school, we both ended up working um, for a ministry for a year, and we met there. Uh, we did not like one another, and the Lord had other plans. And here we are, so married almost I guess over nine years, almost 10 years now. Yeah. So we met there. <laughs> it's good stuff. I, um, there is a whole lot more to that story. And Much I, more. I, and if you ever get the chance to sit down and have that conversation with them, it's very entertaining. You need to hear that. <laughs> um, so you, you got married. Tell us about moving into your new home and, and being ready to start a family and all that good stuff. Okay, so we met at this internship. We... He pursued for a long time. Um, we ended Probably up. Probably too long. <laughs> we finally started dating, got engaged, got married, and we lived in Virginia. So we were there for some years, um, which is where Cody is from. I'm from Florida. And um, Cody came home one night. Now, mind you, when we got married, he told me one of the first things he said was, um, I won't be leaving Virginia. So just know that if we get married, you're here. And I said, okay. So that's what we did. And then one night he came home and said, I feel like the Lord's saying we need to move to Florida. And I thought, <laughs> well, glory to God. So, uh, so we did. So we packed up. And I mean, literally in a matter of a couple of weeks, we picked up our lives and came back to Florida. Um, and when we got here, I had a job. He was still searching for a job, and we were kind of wondering why in the world the Lord brought us back, but we just believed that there was a reason for that, and so um, he found a job, and we decided to go ahead and build a home. We had looked for a long time and um, hadn't found anything that really worked well for us. It was just the two of us, and so 
we were kind of in this season of trying to decide what do you do with this life that we've been given. We both have good careers, but we don't have children. We had started to try to get pregnant when we lived in Virginia. It wasn't happening. Um, and we were young. We weren't in a hurry. And to be perfectly honest, we felt like any time we were presented with opportunities to enhance our opportunity to have children in other ways medically, we both felt like the Lord was telling us no. Um, and it didn't really make a lot of sense, if I'm perfectly honest. They were hard years, really hard years. But um, we both could always come back together at the end of it and say, we just don't believe we need to take the next step moving forward in this. And so when we built our home, it was a lot of, okay, how many rooms? How much square footage? What do you do? Um, and so we decided to go ahead and build on some rooms and pray that the Lord would fill those with a lot of laughter and a lot of love and a lot of little, little people. Mm. So starting a family wasn't easy for you guys. And, um, in March of 2016, Cody, Lindsay brought up the subject of adoption to you. Um, tell me how that went. Um, well, I'm, I wasn't completely foreign to the adoption. Um, I, my parents adopted. Um, I have a younger, two younger siblings that my parents adopted. So, um, you know, I, I was, I don't want to say used to it, but it was definitely something that I'd gone through before. Um, and, you know, growing up, we had some friends and family that had adopted before as well. I have two cousins, actually three cousins that are adopted. So uh, pretty familiar with the whole thing. And, you know, it's, it's to be honest, some, you know, on the outside looking, looking in, sometimes those adoptions were difficult. Sometimes they weren't. You know, sometimes they were a, a truly a true blessing. Um, I think it's all a true blessing, but it's just sometimes it can be difficult. You know, if I'm being honest, and I've witnessed that um, before, and so you know, all those, all those was flooding through my mind when she mentioned, "Hey, what you know, what about adoption?" Um, and I told her, you know, I say this a lot to her, but she'll probably laugh. But you know, I, why don't we just wait? <laughs> she could ask me anything. Let's go to the store. And I'm like, why don't we just wait? <laughs> um, I don't know why. That's just me. I'm not one to just make a quick decision and go for it. So um, that was my response. I was like, well, why don't we just wait? And she said, well, how about you promise me that you will seek the Lord on this, pray about it, seek the Lord. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. You know, not really think anything of it. Um, but, you know, I, I did do that. I did seek the Lord on it. And uh, he really kind of, over over a few weeks, really kind of, he just gave me some hard truth, uh, and sometimes that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, when you kind of look at yourself, and he he shows you things that aren't correct in your life, and and how to change those things. It's not it's not an easy thing to to go through. So, um, and one of the most frustrating parts of that is when the voice of God sounds a lot like your wife. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's, yes, that's very true. Very frustrating. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it. It's very frustrating. <laughs> no. Um, so uh, a few things he showed me. Um, the biggest thing I would say is comfort, kind of like what you were saying earlier. Um, you know, we had built this beautiful home. Um, we did build two extra, you know, two extra rooms that we were hoping to fill. But I had just came from a very uncomfortable place. When we moved, 
Um, it was just, there was just a lot of chaos. I, I just lost my mom to cancer, and I moved away from everything I had known, everything I'd grown up. You know, I grew up there, um, all my friends, family, that's all I knew, you know? And so the Lord brought us here, and I was, I finally had my own place, like you said, own place to just come home, relax, um, and, and be comfortable. So... Uh, he just kind of showed me, though, when, when I was praying and, and, and going through this, he just kind of showed me that, you know, as Christians, a lot of times we aren't called to be comfortable, um, you know, and the idea of comfort is something, what he really spoke to me, the idea of comfort isn't something he's going to use to grow my faith, um, to make changes in my life, and it really just kind of hit me like, well, you know, I could be comfortable my whole life, but am I really going to grow? Am I really going to make a difference? Um, and, and that was probably the biggest thing he showed me through that. So, now, There was this major contributing factor in your decision to pursue adoption. Tell me about this strong conviction that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we grew up, both grew up in Christian homes. Um, went, you know, we worked out of ministry uh, for a year, her for two once again, long story. Um, <laughs> but, you, you know, growing up, and as Christians, we, had, we, we hold the strong belief of um, that uh, pro-life stance. Um, you know, we believe all life is sacred and that um, life begins at conception and that you should do everything you can to protect that life. Um, and, and the Lord, you know, one of the other things the Lord showed me through all my my prayer and self-reflection is, you know, we, we believe that, you know, and that's something that um, sometimes that there are children because of that that need homes. Um, there's children that are going to need homes um, when, when people make decisions to choose life. We celebrate as Christians, but there's also sometimes a void that a, ch a child may need a home. And that's... Um, Something that we both, you know, growing up, we both believed in, we both agreed with, and uh, but now, you know, it was time to actually put your money where your mouth is. It was time to um, walk in that decision and walk in that belief. That is so powerful to me. You know, if if you know me, you know that that is one of the deciding factors for me uh, when when it's time for me to vote because I I just believe that the enemy is destroying so many lives, not just the, un the unborn babies that are being killed, but even the moms and the dads and the emotional stuff that they have to go through afterwards. And um, for years I have preached that and I've preached that and I'm just, you know, just we're, we're just a, we're a pro-life church and it doesn't mean that we, we're not there to help people pick up pieces and we're certainly not, not you know, gonna be ugly about it, but, but I do believe it's a fight for the church and last year, um, God just really challenged me, and I was at a at a, a Syrah banquet. It's a, a pregnancy center in, in Gainesville, and I was at a banquet, and God just spoke to me and just challenged me. And um, in, in last year, early part of, of 2019, I brought that to you as a church, and I said, "It's time." I used those exact words: "Put your money where your mouth is," and I said, "If we really feel this strong about it, then let's take this next month and let's raise some money." so that we can help combat this, we can help fight this. And church, 
you gave over $10,000 that month to bless the pregnancy center. Isn't that amazing, man? Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. So, Cody, Cody, I get it, man. I understand that that strong conviction, and, and I love, I love that that was part of the driving force for you to open your home. So you guys decided to, to pursue adoption. Um, Lindsay, how did you feel with Cody now on board to adopt? I was excited. Um, I was really excited. I mean, if you guys know me, I don't hide my emotion very well. So there was a lot of jumping and dancing and joy in our home um, when he came home and said that. But to be perfectly honest, you know, I will say in, in our journey of dating and engagement and getting uh, married, one of the biggest deciding factors in us getting married was me knowing that he was a man that I could be led by. And it takes a lot to lead Lindsay May. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> okay. And, um, you know, I remember I had a mentor in my life that said, you know, Lindsay, who, who would you follow blindly into battle? And I said, Cody May. You know, if he came home and said, this is what the Lord said, I would jump, and it wouldn't be a question. Um, and does that make every decision in our household easy? No. But, but it does, I think that when he came home and he said, hey, Lindsay, I, I feel like the Lord is saying this, it was simply, okay, how and when and what do we do next? Um, and we were excited. I mean, I think that we were nervous. Um, there was the reality of all of this coming in. And for me, it's more of containing my excitement to not just run out and do everything that I can think of. It's taking time to wait and taking time to pray in unity with my husband that the Lord would guide those steps. So that was kind of our next step. You know, one of the things that so many couples face when when they are going through the adoption process is the disappointment of the rug being pulled out from underneath them. Mm -hmm. But you had a very unique perspective um, when the first opportunity to adopt didn't quite work out. Tell me about it. Yeah, so Cody came home, just backtracking just a little bit, where he did come home one night. He said, hey, you know, you told me to think about this a while ago, and and I did. I've prayed about it. I feel like the Lord says that it's time for us to do this. And I was like, okay, what should we do next? And he said, well, let's first start praying, you know, for opportunities. Let's pray. Do we, should we be adopting through foster care? Should we be adopting, you know, internationally? Should it be something local? What is, what do, what avenue do we pursue? Because for those of you that are familiar with adoption, there's lots of avenues of adoption. So what does this look like for us? And, um, and I said, okay, sounds good. And so I, um, just within a day or two after that, someone approached me and said, hey, um, I don't know, have you and Cody considered adoption? And if so, there's somebody that we know um, that is looking for a home for a child. And I said, well, we are. And I was all excited. And she said, you know, could you just put together a little biography for your, of your home? And I said, I'll make a scrapbook. So I stayed up all night and made a scrapbook of us. Um, <laughs> I did. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> I was trying to come up with all the right things to say. Um, and I gave it to that person, and she contacted me a couple of days later and just said, you know, we, that this particular birth mom just doesn't feel like this is the best fit um, for a variety of reasons. And so I remember walking away and thinking, we are really just fine. We decided this all of, you know, less than a week ago. So it's okay. Um, and I think that when we got home that night, we were sad, but I think we were also 
very assured that it was the Lord preparing us, almost like a trial run, if you will, to say, are you really ready for this? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it was good for us in a lot of ways, and there were some details around that particular situation that I think uh, we both kind of giggled and said, you know, we always imagined that when we adopted, it would look these different ways, and, and so that's okay. We'll wait and see, and we had a lot of peace with it. I love your perspective on that. I also pictured you guys being like Monica and Chandler when they were trying to sell themselves to adopt. You know, mm-hmm. I pictured that also. That was, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That, that was her, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was like, once upon a time in a land far, far away, Cody and Lindsay met. And he's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. So there was a lot of second guessing all night in that scrapbook. <laughs> <laughs> so take us to April 1st, 2016. What happened? April Fool's Day, right? <laughs> yes, no, it is uh, April Fool's Day. It was that I was too. not going to point that out, but since it since was you that did. too. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that the uh, the opportunity to adopt that didn't work out happened, and just a few short days later, actually, um, I got a phone call from another friend of mine that said, "Hey, we heard that you and Cody had considered potentially adopting. Is that something that you would still be interested in?" And I said, "Yeah, I have a scrapbook." And so I got my scrapbook, and I ran it to this, um, this friend of mine, and, and she took it from me. And this was on a Thursday, um, the 31st of March. And the next day I was at work, and I got a phone call from this friend of mine that said, you know, we just had brunch, and um, she would like for you and Cody to adopt her baby. And I was at work. I'm a labor and delivery nurse. And so I walked out of our break room and a friend of mine, Stacy, looked at me and she said, are you going to be a mama? And I said, I'm going to be a mama. And I was so excited. So I called Cody and told him, guess what? We're having a baby. And uh, he said, are you, are you fooling or are you not fooling? What are you fooling? I said, no, I'm serious. And um, then we found out that she was going to be a little girl. And that's exactly everything we had pictured. And not that we wouldn't love a boy, too. But I think that we had just always imagined that we would adopt a little girl first. And so um, it was everything we dreamed. And then we found out that she was due just a few short months after that. And so we were kind of in this, oh, shoot, what do we do next mode of, okay, so somebody wants us, but can we even be wanted. We don't have a home study. We're not through an agency. We don't have any of the right steps financially. What does this mean? And one of the doctors I was working with that day said, oh, my best friend's an adoption attorney. Here's her cell phone number. And I was like, oh, thanks. So I took that and called. And um, before the weekend was over, we had arranged for a home study to take place. And all of the pieces just began to perfectly fall into place. Um, Truly, truly, in a way that I don't I don't think we could ever have imagined. July 13th, 2016. That was the day, huh? Mm-hmm. It was. That was life-changing for all of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tell us about it. Well, uh, yeah, July 13th, um, we were at the hospital all day. Mm-hmm. All night. All night. Um, they put us in a... Oh, no. So that was the second night. Oh, that the was the first second night. night okay. We stayed at a hotel with my right, parents. Right, yes. Shared room. <laughs> we didn't sleep much. No. We were up all night long. Yeah. Um, we were very excited. I think between yes. excitement and just 
I don't know what else, adrenaline maybe keeping us awake. We didn't sleep well. No, there were just a lot of nerves. You know, I think that something's to be said, and I think that we always celebrate the excitement of adoption because it has blessed our lives so much. But with any adoption, there's loss, and 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 that's something that I think should always be acknowledged. And it's it's um, a beautiful part of the process, but it's also something that there's just this world of we are so excited, but then also acknowledging that this isn't always easy. Um, on both sides of this. And so what do you do? What do those look like? I mean, I think I text this group of women, I don't even know, probably 65 times an hour, just pray guys, pray guys, pray guys, you know, updating every single moment. And um, yeah, then we, but we spent the entire two days at the hospital in the waiting room, acting like we were reading books that we weren't actually reading um, because we couldn't focus. Wow. And then we got the phone call that she had delivered and so we were in a room the two of us i was videotaping everything and i was like so cody how do you feel how do you feel he's like i'm just sitting in a hospital room again you know um and then they brought her to us our sweet little girl and she got put into our arms and that was that was it that was it i I think it was it before that but that was that was official and um yeah, we stayed at the hospital. We actually ended up getting put in a pediatric bed overnight, so we slept in, we called it our fishbowl. It bowl. was a fishbowl. I mean, uh, we were on this little little bed, and there was windows all around, and everyone's walking by us, kind of looking at us like, oh, those aren't kids. What are <laughs> the two of us in one pediatric hospital bed. Uh, but we stayed there, and then we, so she was born on a Wednesday, and we went home on Friday, and, I mean, that's all she wrote. She's us. We're her. We're one big family. And, Harper. Uh, Harper May. Harper Ann. Yep. She's our girl. We've got a picture. Yeah. She's pretty amazing. I, I don't know if, if anyone could have hand-selected anyone. I mean, she's got a little bit of both of y'all's personalities there, and uh, it's, she's, she's something else. Even before service, they were in my office, and um, when Harper's in the room, it's Harper's room. She, mm. she runs the show. She, she does. She's a mess. Um, there's another part of their story, and, and I, I would regret if I did not allow us to take a moment and to share this, because about two years um, after the, the adoption of Harper, um, you guys went through some pretty tragic times. Just tell us a little bit about that. You go for it. I don't know if I can hold it together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we, Harper was born July 2016. Um, About two years after Harper was born, a little before that two-year mark, we started having, you know, there's a a reason that a lot of babies are two years apart. It's because they grow up from babies, and all of a sudden you miss a baby. And so right around two years, we started saying, man, she's so big. Uh, what are we going to do next? You know, do we want to adopt again? Do we want to, you know, try to biologically have children? Like, what, what's the goal here again? Just sort of beginning to seek the Lord. I think that our life is a lot of a big change and then some time of settling in and seeking the Lord in that and then getting settled and saying, all right, Lord, we feel like something new is coming again. So what is this and what does this look like? And so we begin praying and saying, okay, Lord, what is it? And um, for the first time in over six years of not getting pregnant, we felt the Lord release us to really seek out why were we not getting pregnant. Um, And 
And so we did. Um, I made an appointment with a doctor, and we kind of looked into a few things, and um, the same doctor, actually, that gave me the adoption attorney number, and she said, you know, Lindsay, we have a good excuse to do a surgery. Let's go ahead and do it. And so we did. We did um, a, what was supposed to be a fertility-seeking surgery to find out why was my body not really working the way it needed to. And... Um, <clears throat> And, you know, this, I think, just should be mentioned, too, that, to be honest, as we were walking through that, and many of you walked through that with us, going into that surgery and asking the Lord, why now do we feel a release? And I think that my mind mentally went to, okay, we feel a release because now's the time. Harper was supposed to be ours. We were supposed to be hers. And now the Lord is freeing us to go ahead and let's try to get pregnant, and then we'll see what happens next. And, um... And we went into that surgery, if I'm totally honest, with a lot of faith, truly believing that the Lord was about to kind of just restart my body and, and get us in a fresh place. And we were very excited. There was a lot of anticipation. And so um, we went into it just believing that and got out and had every reason in the world to believe that that was going to be the case and um, got done and went up for a follow-up appointment to have stitches removed and they said you have cancer you have ovarian cancer um and I just remember I mean it it took us by shock for sure um we it, they were once again hard days and not hard days in the sense of Lord well I'm angry and to say that anger didn't cross our minds at times would be a lie I mean it did but I think that it just surprised us. We went in just truly being excited about what the Lord was going to do. And then it just took a sharp turn for us. And um, we learned a lot through that, that, that goodness, you know, what we think is good isn't necessarily what the Lord defines as good. And, and goodness for us looked a little bit differently than maybe what we anticipated. Um, but it was goodness. In a, in a weird way, it was. And so we started that battle, that journey, I guess you would say. Um, and that was October 3rd and November 8th. Um, I had both ovaries and uterus removed. So the decision to, you know, say we're not going to, to risk anything. We're just going to be done with this and continue moving forward. Um, if I'm honest, a lot of the confidence in that decision came from the fact that we knew that we didn't have to have biological children to love them. Mm. Um, I think that I remember us walking through the hospital yard after that meeting and me saying, well, what do we do? Do we, do we keep trying to do this? Do we take a more conservative route? Do we go more radical? And I remember Cody looking at me and saying, we don't have to give birth to a baby to love it. We already know that. So why does this wow. shouldn't be a factor? You know, like we can, we'll be fine. And, and uh, so we did. And we went ahead and went forward with that. Um, I started chemotherapy on Christmas Eve. And, uh, and then I'm cancer free. Who starts? <laughs> Who starts chemotherapy on Christmas Eve? I mean, I figured it would be more jolly. Uh, I guess so. No. <laughs> wow. We, we rejoiced with you guys, and I know that there were some, some tough times through all of that, um, mm -hmm. having been a husband that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that's walked through that with my own wife and, and, and walked through cancer. There was so much said 
between me and Cody without words. There was often just looks and and uh, we praise God. Yeah. Amen. We do too. All right, so wrap this thing up. If you could offer any advice to young families as it relates to making room in your home, what would you say to them? That's a loaded question. Um, I would say, you know, the biggest thing we did, and I, it sounds so cliche, but it's just, it's just pray. I mean, there, there's so many avenues uh, to open up your home, not necessarily adoption, but there's just so many different avenues. But just pray and seek the Lord on what your role will be um, in that sense. And, I mean, you seek him, and he's going to give you the answer you look for. Um, you know, whatever role you're going to play, he will, he will present that to you. Um, that, and the only, the only other thing I had was um, don't be afraid to share, uh, especially with your inner circle. I mean, we shared with our church family um, and, our, of course, our family, you know, her, her family, my family. But our church family really supported us through all this. Um, so I want to thank you guys. You yeah. know, you guys played a big part in it um, just through prayer even, uh, you know, financial donations, our adoption was not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to share and, and, and ask for help as far as, you know, prayers and things like that. So, uh, yeah, that, that would be my advice. That's yeah. great advice. And I think just trusting that just because maybe we've been, we live in a society that leads us to believe that things look a specific way, and I'm equally guilty of that as anybody else. Um, I think what we've really learned is that things might look a little bit different than maybe what we've been told, like, success or, or things do in, throughout life. And um, when you do allow that space to say, okay, Lord, what next? Um, and not, hey, God, I want this, but, okay, Father, you know, what, it, what does this look like for us next? And may we be obedient in, in whatever that looks like. May we be faithful with whatever that looks like. He will bless um, exceedingly and abundantly more. And he'll, he'll use it. I mean, we could have never created a child as incredible as our daughter, ever. It just, our genetics aren't that powerful, you know what I'm saying, y'all? <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, but in all, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, I mean, she's incredible. And, um, and she's so much more than we could have ever dreamed of. And I think that it just took us having to step back and say, what's next, Lord? And I think we're still doing that. We're still saying, what's next, Lord? And, and trusting that whatever that looks like, it might not be easy, but it will be really beautiful by the end. Oh, thank you, guys. Would you let Lindsay and Cody know how much you appreciate them sharing? Thank you, guys. You know, that, that is an amazing testimony of conviction and obedience is what it is. And I just, I praise God for people like that, that um, they truly do open up their home so that God has a place to live in their home. And, and I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that a service like today is, is going to um, speak to everyone in the room about adoption uh, and not even foster care. Um, I, I, that's not the purpose of this today. However, I do believe that there are some in the room that, that God may be speaking to you about those particular subjects. 
And maybe today it, it, it might open up a door for you to have a conversation. And I, I know the maze, and I know that they would be more than willing to have those kind of conversations with anyone who may be considering that. And uh, so that door is open. Um, feel free to, to have those conversations. But the truth is, God wants to use your home. God's looking for a place to live in your home, but you've got to create space for God to live in your home. And, and for some of us, our schedules, our calendars, are, are, they're just so packed that there's, there's no space for God in that calendar. And, and I would challenge some of you, if, if you're going to honor God with your time and in your home you're going to create some space, then, then you're going to have to get control of your, your calendar and not let your calendar control you. For, for some of you, you, your family is just too overextended. Just, just trust God. Just trust God. You might have to eliminate some things because if God wants to use you, it, it may require some time. For others, it, it's, it, you're, you're so completely exhausted by the end of the day. You've used all of your talent and, and you're just exhausted and there's no possible way that God can use you because you have no desire to lift one more finger. And, and, and you're just going to have to be careful with that. You're going to have to create some space there. And of course, as we talked last week, it, 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 it might be in your treasure. It, it, it might be that you are so financially strapped that if God wanted you to do something on, on his behalf, if God wanted to work through you, if he wanted you to be his, his hand extended, you'd probably have to go rob a bank before you could actually give. And, and so God, God wants to use your home, and, and there's so many different areas that we could look into that, but we've got to learn to, to open, as, as Sister Shunammite, as she taught us, you've got to, to create room for God in our homes. You've got to create room, and when you do, God will be faithful to fill it and to multiply it and to bless. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.